全国のロデオボーイロデオガールのみんな元気かい今年の夏をホットに盛り上げるアッパーナンバーをお届けするぜグランロデオで恋のヒートウェイブよ。Let alone how many anime podcasts have ever done this、uh, sort of bamboozle of their fans, trick you into thinking they're done, and then come back, oh, it's just a little time later. Well, it's been a couple years, but it's okay. I gotta set the example for Anime 82, because we know that's coming back sometime soon. Anyway, enough of that. I'm just excited to be back, guys. Quite frankly, just super excited to be back. I, it's been a little bit of a long road coming back here. Coming back to、uh, podcast land, Internetsville. But、um, I want to kind of relay that story for a little bit if I can. It started with a couple of incidents, and I want to pay tribute to that because sometimes the journey is more important than the end. So let's talk about that for a minute. There was a good friend. I have a couple good friends in California, right? Bay Area, California. Living out there for a couple of years. They invited me. Oh, no, I have to go back. Let's go back to the beginning of the story. So, first things first,、um, I was invited, or I invited a couple friends to go see the Dragon Ball Z Battle of Gods theatrical release in San Jose. We went to go see that. Absolutely adored it. Oh, my goodness. It was like. It was nostalgia. It was a wave of nostalgia washed over, and, and watching that was just super fun. And I, I remember the drive home after we parted ways. You know, we had shared our opinions of the film. I really, really, really enjoyed it. And they, they did too. I remember getting home and I just could not shake it. It's like, wow, that was so good. It wasn't that the film was an amazing work of art, it wasn't that it had pushed boundaries or done anything new. But what it had done is tapped into a nostalgia that I had, I don't want to say denied, because that seems, seems、uh, overly serious. It tapped into a nostalgia that I had kind of abandoned, I guess. That, I guess, abandoned is less of a serious word. I hadn't been watching anime or kind of fallen off the bandwagon, pursuing other hobbies and other interests. But when I had seen that Dragon Ball Z movie, you know, I was like, yeah, I should, I should definitely go check this out. It's been a long time. This is the first time we're getting anything really new, an actual feature. I mean, we had the,、uh, the special there with Vegeta's brother, but this was something different, right? So I watched this and, it, and I felt something special. Well, come a little bit later, I got an invite by the same friends to come over and watch Evangelion 2.22 or Evangelion 2. And、uh, he had never seen it before. 
Actually, both of them had never seen it before. Both of my friends, they were a couple, had never seen it before. And uh, I'd seen Evangelion so multiple times. Oh, goodness gracious. The history with that series goes on and on and on. That should be reserved for another time. Long story short, I'm excited because I'm brushing up on all this Eva stuff. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going to impress him with all the knowledge I have, you know, look like a total master at uh, Evangelion lore, right? And good goodness gracious, there are people who know so much more than I do, and I, I'm starting to figure that out. I am but a humble servant when it comes to relaying information. I am not a guru on the hill. But anyway, I, I remember watching that, and I had a good time. I had a really good time. It's the first time I actually watched... We watched one and then two back-to-back. -back. And it was a dub. I had never seen the dub version. I don't particularly prefer the Evangelion dub for two reasons. Misato's voice is okay. She's she's fine. I can, I can deal with it. I just really enjoy Koto no Mitsuishi. She's just iconic for me. The other thing, and I know I'm going to get slack for this. That's why I'm kind of hesitant to say it. I do not enjoy Spike Spencer. And so I watched both of these dubbed, and it was cool. I love those films. I love that series. And again, sparked something within me that I had long forgotten. And then I got an email. Not really an email, but uh, I guess it would be a private message or whatever you call it, basically an email on my anime list. I was starting to, okay, yeah, I'm going to get back into anime. Start watching some stuff, right? I, I wake up one morning and it says, you have one private message or, you know, the little one in parentheses next to your mailbox. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. So I click on that and it's from some random person with the screen name of Echelsax or however you pronounce it. Th that's another... Thing I don't particularly like about the internet is that you can have this awesome screen name that's practically impossible to pronounce uh, in any vocal audio based language. Um, this is why we all should switch to sign language, I suppose. I don't know. Make movies a hell of a lot more interesting. Um, basically, I get this email. I get this PM out of, out of nowhere saying, I really enjoyed your show. Referring to animation. I have no idea what animation is, I'm sorry. But anyway, I get this awesome, 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 awesome private message. And these three incidents kind of hit me within the span of, you know, two or three weeks, hit me in relatively quick succession. And I just said, I, damn it, I gotta return to this. I gotta come back. This is just too much a piece of me. It just it kind of, I don't want to say it defines my existence, but it is a piece of me. It's something I hold very special. And so I want to thank those individuals for, for putting me back here. It's kind of an emotional moment for me. When I fired up the mic, um, this is going to sound a little corny, but for those of you who know me for a while, I think you'll understand this, and hopefully there's some of you still listening. So I want to appeal to you guys. I fired up the mic and, and tears came to my eyes, not because it was anything amazing, not because it was, a, you know, it was just a spring of memories and happy, sad, frustrating, you know. Running a podcast is, 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 it can be frustrating and it can be very rewarding and it has been both. I remember so many times, you guys will never understand, I'll just let you know how many times something happens, like you'll be sitting in your room. You get a knock at the door, or the doorbell rings, or the neighbors start blasting music, or something ridiculous happens, you know, the mic falls over, or you just, you'd be surprised with the amount of things that can happen and completely ruin a, a, a good recording. 
you have to stop and okay, I have to re-record that line I said. But the thing is, when I said it, I had a passion, so it's like, ugh, there are some there are some difficulties with that. And to sit here again in front of a microphone, the microphone that was given to me by my good friend Mike, who himself helped me out become a real podcaster, you know, take me from some sort of kid recording out of a basement with a, a horrible microphone with a horrible I don't even remember the program I was using. It wasn't Audacity. It wasn't anything even remotely respectable. I think it was just some random Windows recorder or whatever. But um, I, I, it's just it has been an emotional journey of lots of nostalgia and lots of memories. And um, there's, I mean, I can't pinpoint one source, one person because it's not. So this is a new beginning. This is a thank you. To all those who've gotten me to this new beginning. But most of all, this is a thank you for all those who are listening now, who may be new viewers, and future people who will hear the sound of my voice and chime in. This is not me trying to champion myself. It's never about that. This is about an art form. This is about a community that shares something in common. I enjoy this medium. I enjoy hearing from you guys, and I enjoy podcasting. So without further ado, before I get overly emotional again, I, oh, mm, yes, I love them feels. Let's get going. And just like old podcast format, I'm going to take the best of the best of the best from all these other podcasters, and let's try and make a great show. Right now, it's kind of in the prototype phase, but I can hold back no longer. You guys deserve a good show. I will try my damnedest to give you a good show. And with that, let's head on into the news, shall we? You know, the smile on my face still has not gone away. Okay, it is a good time to be an anime fan. It is a good time to be enjoying products from Japan. Let me tell you why, because I literally was thinking I should I should report on some sort of news thing, right? So I'm thinking, how do I want to do this in a way that's not going to sound stereotypical? I can't. What I can do is give you my opinions and that sort of thing, and of course my opinions will always be mine, so I guess that's unique. Take it or leave it. But just because it's unique doesn't make it useful. Man, there's so much going on right now. There's so much, you can't even cover all of it. And so that's why... When, I, when I'm going to do this new segment, I want you to know there's, there's so much more out there. I'm only going to touch what I think is important, what I enjoy. Um, and I've already mentioned Dragon Ball Z. Dude, okay. Brilliant. The new movie, Fukatsu no F, or Revival of F, as uh, Kan Zenshu, one of my favorite Dragon Ball Z sources, has been calling it. the red car- So we had the red carpet release already happen. Moviegoers in Japan, though, got a little something extra. I hope they bring it over here, too. They're calling it the JC Sai Kamikan Dragon Ball Maki F. The JC Most Godly Edition Dragon Ball Volume F. Now, basically what this is, it's think of special features for a Blu-ray, right? Except this is in a Tankuban manga volume. It's got everything. Behind the scenes, not footage, obviously, because it's in a book format. Behind the scenes, thoughts, settings, the script, 
designs, you name it. And Akira Toriyama is the one who's putting this out. It looks just like your original Dragon Ball manga volumes. And this is so cool. It's got the picture of Gohan. It's got the two minions from Frieza. It's got Goku with his new blue hair. Uh, Bulma, Vegeta, and of course, like right there in the center, it's got Frieza in his golden form. It's it's the most interesting thing because it looks so, I hate the word retro, but it looks so classic. It looks so timeless Dragon Ball, but it's not. It's very modern. You've got Kuroa in, in the police gear. It's so awesome. And the thing is, Master Roshi looks exactly the same. He's never going to die. I, I, I'm pretty sure Master Roshi himself is a Saiyan because he never grows hair. It never changes. And, um, yeah, he doesn't seem to age with the exception of, uh, his current predicament of being a geezer. But if this comes over, it's kind of like having that extra Roman album. And the Roman albums, um, for those of you who don't know, are, are kind of like those extra books that come with the, with the DVDs or animation. Okay. Animation is obviously a, a visual medium. You have to draw something out on the page. You draw multiple drawings. You kind of flip through them or you move them very quickly and it gives the illusion of actual movement. Now, that being said, Roman albums are always going to have a place because those are the drawings. Those are the behind-the-scenes interviews. This is kind of where you can hear from the voice actors, the voice actresses, the directors and producers. To have something like that is to kind of have a piece of history. And the more and more... I write these articles on Senpai Coast to Coast, and the more and more I try and do research on, on the medium, on, on a certain show or a certain creator, the more I realize that these are the sources of information that you really want. I was reading through that, that Miyazaki book. I have it right here on my shelf. I'm looking at it. The, um, the memoirs. Starting Point is what they called it. You know, I have the first half of Starting Point. Unfortunately, I do not have the hardcover. For some reason, that's going for like 100 something dollars. Um, I had my chance to get it for 30 bucks uh, at um, Kinokunya Books over there in, in um, is it Santa Clara. It's like right there on the border. Santa Clara and San Jose, over in Cali, basically. And um, it's right next to the Mitsuo Marketplace. For any of you who are living in the Bay Area, you're looking for good Japanese shops, just let me know. I have sought them out because that's the person I am. I, I do the research. But Kinokunya Books is a really good source to get stuff like that. So I'm hoping... One, Kinokunya Books will have this, maybe even in Japanese. You know, if it's cheap, I'll get it. But it says it's being released at the you know, the movie theaters. I don't know. We may never get this. But anyway, a Roman album is essentially the extras. And this is kind of like a Roman album in, in a lot of aspects. So that's really neat. I hope we get it. Another exciting piece, is, and this is um, really near and dear to my heart. I wrote a piece of, uh, on Wolf Children. You guys are familiar with that. Well, they're calling it Boy and Beast, Boy and the Beast, or uh, I think it's like Bakemono no Ko. We got a second teaser, we got a, we got a trailer. And this is, of course, a film by Mamoru Hosoda. He, again, is responsible for Wolf Children, Summer Wars, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, and Digimon. Those Digimon films. Now, you have to be careful because when the Digimon films were brought over here, they were kind of amalgamated into one uh, feature. And so, if you want to watch the original... The man is responsible for Digimon, okay? Let me get that out of the way. We have Digimon Try coming up. I'm about to mention that in a little bit because just this morning they broke the release date. This is exciting, so by the time you listen to this, you'll probably already know, but regardless. Digimon was by Toy, Toy Animation, and when they saw the, uh, was it the production notes or the storyboards? They saw the storyboards, I believe, and when they saw that, Literally, producers said, we need to expand this into a 52-episode series, basically a year-long series. You know, weekly episodes, whatever. 
and Mamoru Hosoda was not on that board as much as he was involved with the actual film. It's like a half an hour special. And you have, um, I think his name is Koruman. I don't know if the Digimon names change in Japanese or not. I've only watched the dub. And then I've watched the, uh, these films are only in Japanese unless you watch the amalgamated version. But Koruman is there. He evolves into Agumon. Agumon's character design, if character is the right... I mean, he's a character, right? Sure. His character design, his design, let's just say that, is quite a bit different from the, uh, the 52 episode animated series. And so... That might take some getting used to, but I'm just trying to, to illustrate for you, it is different from the TV series. Now, they revisit some of those scenes and then retell them in the 52 episode series, but that half an hour special is alone responsible for the Digimon franchise. And Mamoru Hosoda worked on that. If I'm not mistaken, he was producer. No, 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 he was, uh, he was director. What am I talking about, producer? He was the director. And so... That alone should should already you know be sending so many wonderful signs and, and 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 I don't say red flags but it should be sending some signals to you that this is a guy who is responsible. People are still freaking out about Miyazaki's uh, retirement. Mamoru Hosoda, um, a lot of people feel he's one note. He kind of doesn't venture too much away from what he already knows. But I'm gonna get to that too. But. He has a special quality, the same Miyazaki has, of his productions, his products, can appeal to a mass audience who doesn't even like anime. My mother and I, um, I, I love my mom. I'm a mama's boy. What can I say? Oh, oh well. Um, my, my, my mother has never been an animation fan, never really cared too much for cartoons in general. I sat her down and said, look, mom, uh, I've already seen this film. Uh, I want you to see this with me. I want to watch this with you. I gave it to her for Christmas, which was interesting because usually Christmas, you give something that you know somebody will love. I didn't know if she would love this because how much, I won't say she was opposed, but how much she had um, been disillusioned with a lot of animation, thinking it as the typical Dragon Ball sort of thing. So for people who are listening, trying to think of how to introduce loved ones or, or family members or however you want to, you know, friends, to anime, to this medium, listen up here for a second. I, I introduced this to my mother. And uh, I was saying, look, I think you'll enjoy this. So we sat on the couch and we're watching this. And, and there were a couple times when I watched the movie alone, I was tearing up because it's just, it's so full of life. It's such, such a live, such a vibrant version of, of how we live as human beings. Not, you know, it, I mean, it has obviously some cultural relevancies and ties, but it works very well when you hand it to someone who's matured, who's lived life for some time. Wolf children being mostly about two children who are monsters, to say the least. I, I really like that uh, they used wolves as an animal to kind of dip, you know, depict how wild children can be. But, um, you know, I showed that to my mother, and she really liked it. It was, it was something that appealed to her. She could relate, having raised, you know, me, my, my siblings. It was something that she enjoyed. And so, Mamoru Hosoda is definitely a valid candidate to replace Miyazaki. I mean, he already tried working for Ghibli, and supposedly the One Piece movie 6, Baron on the Secret Island, or whatever it's called, is kind of a tale of his experiences at Ghibli. He was supposed to direct Howl's Moving Castle, but this is turning into an expose on Mamoru Hosoda. The man, Boy and the Beast, his new film is coming out. Watch the trailer, because... 
it just looks good. It's so gorgeous. And this is coming from his new studio. Long story short, one thing I do want to kind of critique, if you've bought Summer Wars, if you bought Wolf Children or something like that, I want you to grab those right now and look at that. Both of those are original concepts, okay? Now, the girl who let through time in Digimon, Digimon could be characterized as an original concept, but just for a moment, let's look at, well, I guess we could look at the Digimon cover too, but anyway, let's just look at Summer Wars and Wolf Children. Do you notice anything similar? Okay, yes, they both have Sadamoto as the, the character designer, but I mean, what do you notice? They, they have the same pose. Okay, cool. Whatever, give them, give them the shadow of the doubt, right? Benefit of doubt. Well, then you look at uh, the boy and the beast. Yeah, it looks extremely Summer Wars. It looks extremely Wolf Children, but that's a good thing. But it's kind of like, you know, when you see American movie posters and how they all shape out, and it's just like, ah, they all look the same. Yeah, well, so don't Hosoda's films. It's going to open in uh, theaters in Japan July 11th. So, you know, us over here, we're going to have to wait a little while before we get to see it. But I'm excited. I'm excited. As I said, it's a good time to be a fan. Especially if you were a fan of Yu-Gi-Oh! Because for some reason, they decided that they were going to do a new film. I don't know why, but it's coming out for 2016. It's Gekijoban Yu-Gi-Oh! Or Yu-Gi-Oh! The Movie, basically. So the film is going to have an original story that's not related to the manga, which means it won't actually move the story anywhere. Not that the story could be moved anywhere, because the manga's kind of already been wrapped up. But the thing that's interesting is that the voice actors for um, Seto Kaiba and Yugimoto are going to be reprised. And this is in the Japanese version. Of course, they released some... Uh, some visuals on the character designs, and it looks extremely Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, Shonen Jump released a teaser. Of course, this is off ANN, so go go check out and support their articles, please. And it says, <coughs> in the past, Yami Yugi and Kaiba have clashed many times. Yami Yugi, who resides in Yukimoto's body, and Kaiba will have a duel that bets their prides and accepts each other's mutual experience. So basically, it's going to be, you know, kind of like the those Gonagai movies, you know, Mazinger versus Devilman versus Getarobo, and they all end up working together at the very end sort of thing. So we already, same song and dance, we already know. Um, though looking back and, and seeing new Yu-Gi-Oh stuff coming out just really feels old. Holy crap, it feels old looking at it. I don't mean old as in, you know, you're watching the original Gundam or you're looking at uh, Gigantor or Tetsujin 28, whatever you want to call it. Um... Not in that. It just it just feels like it's outdated. It doesn't look like it belongs in this current uh, era. What is this current era? I don't know. But it just it just kind of sticks out a little bit. So go ahead and check that out. There's an article in ANN about that. Here's something exciting. Bakuman. Remember that manga? You remember that anime? It was really good. And uh, we're getting a live action film. I'm super excited because I'm, I'm already looking at the key visual they got here. They are so close to their manga counterparts. Boom. Nailed it. This looks good. If you haven't read Bakuman, I suggest you do so quickly because this movie's coming out pretty soon here. So I imagine uh, Bakuman manga sales are actually going to go up. Or maybe not. But um, regardless, I don't know. You know, after Shirobako, we already kind of have an inside view of how anime works. This might 
be the proper timing or could be the wrong timing because you know she do we need this i don't know i think this is the right time we really need to appreciate this medium because this medium right now is gaining so much more acceptance and uh so much more widespread it's just a really good time to be an anime fan guys just a really good time i mentioned going a guy previously and there's a reason for that i was uh trying to build up for the perfect ramp a perfect little segue grandizer Grandizer Giga Manga is coming out. So we're getting a brand new Grandizer manga. Um, the series hasn't come out since 1975. 40 years. In fact, uh, that's part of the reason we have a new animated short. It's it's only two minutes long, or, or you know, just under two minutes, actually. 40 years. April 20th. We are going to have brand new Grandizer. And the thing is, a lot of people who are familiar with Grandizer are going to be older fans or mecha fans. And those tend to be the same people. Force 5. Okay, Force 5 was a cartoon block where they took a lot of, you know, G-Force, uh, or Gachamon rather. They took Gachamon, Space Battleship Yamato. They took uh, Getter Robo G, and then they took some other shows. Grandizer was one of them. Guy King was another. I mean, anyway, it was, a, it was a lot of Go to Guy stuff. Now, a lot of the older classics, too. Uh, Speed Racer might have been thrown in there every once in a while, too, but I, I, I wasn't around, so I'm kind of just regurgitating whatever information I was given by... Um, my father, in particular, watched um, Force 5. He, he loved it. He loved Guy King, and he loved uh, Space Battleship. Uh, of course, they called it uh, Star Blazers, but whatever. Grandizer, I remember my dad introduced me to Grandizer, and this was kind of right at that age when I was starting to realize anime was a medium. Oh, cartoons from Japan. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and I didn't take to it. It was very old and whatever. And then, of course, I, I started appreciating Gonagai. And, and once you read Devilman, in my opinion, it's impossible not to appreciate Gonagai. Some people may argue it's Cutie Honey. Some people may argue it's Getarobo or Mishinger. For me, it's Devilman. You say Gonagai, I think Devilman. Regardless... It was something introduced to me by my dad, and to see now 40 years have gone by, boom, we have brand new Grandizer. You know, I, I, if I had known, if I was aware that this was going to be the 40th anniversary, I would have included it in the, I'm going to shamelessly self-plug myself a bunch, um, in the new Castles of Iron, the, the Origins of Mecha. I tried to do my best to keep a Reader's Digest version of how uh, Mecha started. It really started in manga, but anyway, to see... 40 years have gone by. This is going to be brought to the hands of new fans. It just reminds me of the news. The other day, um, we got news that the Ultraman manga is coming as well. I was I was looking at that again in Kinokuniya Books. And uh, I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm looking at it. And, of course, I can't read it. But I can see the pictures. And it's like, wow. My impression, okay? And I could be wrong. My impression is it borrows a lot from Evangelion, which is kind of interesting when you look at the history of Evangelion. Ultraman has kind of imposed itself on Evangelion because of Anno's obsession. And then at the same time, now it seems to be barring a little bit more of that mecha-type um, look. So that's really good. Of course, that manga is licensed. It's coming out here soon. So it's going to be good. Um, I mentioned Studio Ghibli. Let's have another perfect segue right into that. The new film... The new Ghibli film, when Marnie was there, just got a, a new English dub trailer. 
The film was going to open up um, May 22nd in, in New York and L.A. And, of course, G-Kids is now handling the distribution. They, they were handling the distribution for um, Kingdom of, of Dreams and Madness. They handled it for Princess Kaguya. It looks like they're going to be doing it for when Marnie was there as well. Watching the trailer, wow, the voice acting is so good, it's not even funny. But, I mean, you come to expect that, especially when, when it's a Ghibli work. They're doing all they can to, to kind of sell this as, look, you've seen Spirited Away, right? Come watch this, you know. They can't necessarily slap Miyazaki's name on here, although if they want to stretch, they could, but they're not, thank goodness, because I was afraid that every Ghibli movie now is going to be labeled from the studio of Miyazaki, from, you know, and just toss Miyazaki's name out there like a... You know those people who just put ketchup on everything, their mashed potatoes, their french fries are always bathed in ketchup, I use bathed, it's more like a swamp, if you're trying to really look at it, it just strips up land with a, a sea of ketchup. You know, that's really, Miyazaki's name is now equivalent to ketchup when it comes to selling anime here in the United States. We don't have a full list of screenings, I'm hoping it's gonna, it's gonna get a wide release as much as, you know, maybe Dragon Ball Z, but maybe that, <laughs> maybe that might be stretching it. But basically, it's going to open up in New York and Los Angeles, and, and G-Kids has already said they're going to expand the screenings, so that's not going to be it. There are going to be more. I'm hoping I'll be able to see this without having to, to travel too far, but then again, you know, when you love a medium, you love a medium. Where the hell's my Digimon? Let's go, Digimon. May 6th! That's all we have to wait. May 6th. That's less than one month away, okay? That's nothing more than three more weeks, and we will have our crummy little hands on Digimon Adventure Try. Now, here's the cool thing about this. Have you guys seen the animated feature Senkoro? Please go watch it if you haven't. Senkoro 2 was supposed to come out a while ago. It's in limbo right now. We have trailers and everything, but yet the release date came and passed and it never was released. So, Senkoro was pretty much done by one dude. The story, the 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 art, the the production, the, the the directing was all done by one guy. I don't know his name at the moment, but basically he is doing the character designs for this new Digimon. So not only do we have a hosted of product, we also have a product from this amazing creator. And the thing is, Senkoro in a lot of ways is kind of like Daikon was. Remember Daikon 3 and Daikon 4? You guys have all seen that. That's a really great way to show people anime as well. It, it's, it looks amazing. Look at the key visuals. I mean, it's got the same train. It's got, I mean, people were criticizing it as much as they're praising it. This is just so much hype. Good time to be an anime fan. Brand new season came out. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm watching here. I am watching um, KBK uh, Uniphonium. That is just so beautiful. Oh my gosh, so pretty. Of course, it's done by a studio you know is gonna base, they've already made stuff like this before. But the character designs are obviously cute, but the story feels real. And some people are saying, well, this is the anime that will just look pretty and move along at a glacier pace. Well, I, I prefer not to look at it that way. I'm not going to dispute if you're right or wrong, but I don't want to look at it like that. There's something called pacing. There's no such thing as a right pacing, wrong pacing, bad pacing, good pacing. It's all relative, okay? What may be good pacing for one show is horrible pacing for another show. What might be good pacing for the same show is actually bad pacing for that same show. And that may sound like a paradox, but let me give you a slight example. I was speaking with um, my good friend who sent me that private message. We were arguing about... Well, arguing is a strong word, but anyway, we are arguing about Flowers of Evil. I recently watched it. He gave me a suggestion to watch it, so I was watching that. The pacing in that is brilliant. 
but the pacing in that is also horrible. It doesn't cover all the manga, but that that's kind of the story for a lot of anime. My problem was, here's the main thing, maybe this will deserve a review further down the line, the pacing, we know we're not going to be able to get all of it, so they decided to take extra time, they paced it much slower. And it worked, because that dis- that really designates who's feeling what, why, how, that sort of thing. Brilliant. Um, but the same problem is, at the end, the story gets resolved in the manga. It's resolved. Happily ever after the end, um, that might be an exaggeration, but you get what I'm saying. The anime stops right before there's any resolution. They knew they were going to stop before there was any resolution. So that glacial pacing that they used, while it was great, they didn't finish the story. I feel if they had cut back some, they might have been able to finish the story. That's an argument for another day. And I know... <laughs> I, I know Marshall's listening to this and is already saying, Oh, what bullshit, Josh. You don't know what you're talking about. But that's good. I like that. So if you don't... Hey, actually, now would be a great time. That's pretty much all I'm going to report for the news. So let me just give you some contact information so that way if... Uh, you want to argue with me, because I will argue with you as long as your point is valid. But then again, I have to deem it valid. The email that I've been using is the same for the email for the site. It's senpaicoasttocoast at gmail.com. So senpaicoast, the number two, coast at gmail.com. So senpaicoasttocoast, kind of shorthand. If you want to follow me on Twitter, very easy. It's josh underscore dunham, and that's dunham, D-U-N-H-A-M. So feel free to follow me on Twitter. I'm always sending my my thoughts, my, my shorthand thoughts on the show on Twitter. That's a good way to kind of get in contact with me and, and kind of share thoughts on episodes, that sort of thing. If you ever want to suggest a show for me to watch, feel free to shoot me a line through the email or, or heck, if you want, um, just go to Senpai Coast to Coast and leave a, a comment on any one of the articles saying, hey, you know, I'd like to see you cover this topic. So regardless, here's the news. Once again, brought to you by ANN. They're the ones who are who are hosting this. I'm just merely relaying and, and kind of conveying some of my opinions on the news. Again, there's so much more I cannot cover, so please support ANN. Wonderful site. Um, but with that, this is the first episode, okay? This is the first episode of Senpai Coast to Coast. What does somebody review? Well, they gotta review a new show for a new show, right? So with that death parade coming right up. Super suave, right? You got your main character, Dekium, and he owns the Queen Dekium Bar, okay? Smoking, drinking, beautiful piano playing, and it's like velvet everywhere. Very, I don't want to say muted, 
because they're not muted colors. They're suave colors, all right? I want you to remember that word, suave, because that's what this show really is. And of course, we have his assistant. But his assistant doesn't know her name. At least not in the beginning of the show. We'll find out later. But basically, people only come here when they're dead. But they don't know they're dead. They show up. I'm sorry. I cannot tell you the details of this game. I must tell you only you must play in order to leave. That is what Death Parade is all about. People who die at the exact same time, and they're teetering on the edge. Okay, So typically humans, they go to heaven or hell. That's kind of the idea. Although in Death Parade, this isn't quite true. It's very similar, very easy to understand, so let's stick with that concept. But people who are kind of on the edge, they don't quite deserve to be reincarnated, but they don't quite deserve to go to hell. They haven't quite done anything too, too atrocious, we'll say, to deserve something like that. They come to be judged by Arbiters. Decium is one of these Arbiters. Now, Arbiters cannot feel emotions. They do not have emotions. They've never lived. They cannot die. They simply just do their job, and that is to judge. People show up and they play a game, and when they show up, they have no memory of dying. Well, with the exception of Decium's assistant. She remembers that she's dead. And so this creates a problem, because she can't properly be judged. So they hang out for a while. She's just kind of helping and watching. She kind of serves as the audience in a lot of ways. It's very much a social commentary, this show. There's a lot going on. There's a lot that um, is easy to overlook if you're not really paying attention. The one thing I kind of want to talk about, we'll get to, is the idea of justice in Japanese society. Um, however... What ends up happening, just to explain the full setup of this show, there are games that people have to play, and the games are always determined at random. Every episode kind of has a different game. One episode, it's uh, darts. One, it's actually Twister. Uh, one is billiards, you know, pool. Um, they have all sorts of... Old Maid was even played in one. They have different games that you play. It's all chosen by random. Of course, it's not truly random. The whole situation is set up. And it doesn't matter who wins and who loses the game, they are told that if they lose... No, that's not true. They're not told, but it is implicitly implied. Yeah, I guess that's kind of redundant. It is, it is implied that if they lose, there will be consequences. And some of these games involve pain. For example, the darts. This is a, a safe one to cover because it's right there in the first episode. There's a couple. They died at the same time. They come in. And uh, we quickly start figuring out who these people really are. Now what I'm saying is, their faults and weaknesses become evident. And so, they're playing darts. However, the dartboard is linked to body parts. And every time you throw a dart, pain is sent to that body part of the opposing player. Now this is a couple. So as he throws a dart and hits her, let's say in the shoulder, she feels a sharp pain in her shoulder. It's like he stuck a dart in her shoulder. How do you play a game like that? How do you win something like that? You win by simply causing the other person more pain? Is that what that's really about? Or is it the idea of self-preservation? That at the end, humanity must survive. I must survive. 
therefore I am humanity. I think, therefore I am. And this is why it creates the perfect scenario for arbiters to judge a person's true character. Because when they're faced with that situation of being human but yet surviving, but yet surviving is nothing more than a human instinct, it creates a very interesting dynamic for, for, the, for the viewer to watch. But there's also a lapse in the logic here. Dekium has never lived. None of these Arbiters have ever lived. They don't know what it's like to die. They don't know what it's like to live. They don't know the sacrifices. They don't know the choices that you make every day. The consequences that incur. And I dare say that a lot of us as humans don't understand the consequences that incur. But what's happening is his assistant, she is very... I don't want to say merciful, but she she's very human. I mean, she feels for these people. And Dekium does not. He's pretty much emotionless. So this creates a very interesting vacuum. There's something missing here. But the judgments are passed nonetheless. So you have cold thought process, easily represented by Dekium. You have emotion, easily represented by his assistant. At the same time, you have the most human characters, the most vile characters, and some of the most upright characters and noble characters who are experiencing literally a struggle of life and death, even though they're already dead. They're struggling for a chance at life versus a chance of eternal damnation, destruction, and pain. That first episode is a good way... The first two episodes, actually, are a really good way of showing the the viewer what this show is going to be about. Now, of course, it came from the season prior, um, so you might have to, you know, all the episodes are, are now available for your binge-watching pleasure. The first episode is, is literally, you know, it's about the, the couple with darts. And I'm going to completely spoil it. What ends up happening is the boyfriend suspects the girlfriend is cheating on him with another man. However, she tells him that she's pregnant. And uh, the boyfriend does have reason to suspect that she is cheating on him. There's the case of uh, the wedding day. He hears some of the bridesmaids kind of gossiping that uh, they're surprised that she chose him or, you know, it's like, well, what's she going to do with the other man now? That sort of thing. And he hears that, but he, he holds it in. He doesn't confront her. He sees her texting all the time and it, and it bothers him. He's like, oh, she texting, you know, that sort of thing. And so he starts snooping around, and, and the thing is, he's, he's so full of hatred and so full of, of anger. Hatred may be, may be the wrong word, because it's not really hatred, it's, it's hurt. But he's so full of anger, and he can't confront her about it until they start playing darts. And, of course, Dekium has this, this really cool ability. It reminds me a lot of, there's a, a story, The Spider's Thread. And it, it was written by uh, Ryunosuke Akutagawa. The story kind of summarizes this. There's there's a man who looks into a pool, and he sees that there's a criminal. And the criminal is down in hell, and hell is basically the sea of blood and, and darkness and sort of sort of thing. Um, but this criminal, who was a vile, vile man, has done no good in his life save one thing. He spared a spider he was about to step on. 
He saw it and was moved by compassion, and so he didn't step on the spider. While he's in hell, Buddha just, you know, allows that spider strand to come down to hell. And he starts to climb it. He climbs the strand, and he gets about halfway, and he looks down, and he sees how far he's come, and he says, well, I can actually gain salvation. So the spider's thread in that is, is kind of the idea of one good deed can redeem a person, that no person is completely evil. However, conversely to this, he looks down and sees that the other sinners in hell, covered in blood and in and, and this darkness, start to climb the rope as well, the spider's thread. This one good deed. They're all clinging to the one good deed of that they, 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 they did in their life. And in that instance, the, the criminal, he says, No, this is, this is mine and mine alone! And it snaps. And they all plummet back down to hell. In a Buddhist perspective, you can't really just be concerned with your own salvation. You must also be concerned with the salvation of others. Death Parade, I feel, really capitalized on this. Dekium has this ability to call down these, these threads, these sort of wires that, you know, they make a very tight, tensile, um, metal wire type sound whenever he, he casts them or whenever he uses them. And uh, they appear kind of out of nowhere. He uses them to to dictate the little puppets, the mannequins he has about the uh, about the bar. But every once in a while, when somebody gets unruly, or or as I was mentioning, when he wants to alter the uh, outcome of a game, those invisible little threads they they change things. So one case is when the boyfriend's throwing a dart, and the woman says, "Please don't, just not the stomach." And of course, deck him. He alters it, and it goes straight to the stomach and, and sends that pain right there to her. And, and of course, now she's scared because of the baby. And so it gets really tense between the couple. And then at the very end, the wife or the girlfriend does something that can be viewed at in two different perspectives. She starts laughing at him. And she says, you're right, I tricked you. Blah, ha, 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 ha. Look how evil I am. And uh, the man gets reincarnated, and the woman goes to hell. But that's when Dekium's assistant says, I don't think she was telling the truth. I think she was just trying to comfort him. People will believe what they want to believe. And so you realize maybe it should have been reversed or maybe they both should have been reincarnated but that idea of someone who is noble sacrificing themselves for another they both can't be reincarnated because then there's no sacrifice then there's no there's no penance there's no what was the point now there's more to the episode I'm going to try and leave that under wraps for you if I haven't intrigued you already this comes to a head of course in, in episode 9 I remember oh my goodness episode 9 so it's a two part story 8 and 9 and uh, each episode kind of focuses with the exception of like the first three episodes um, pretty much is a story per episode but the it's it's um for those of you who are Stephen Moffat fans you'll understand this analogy it's a puzzle box 
uh, storyline where, yes, the stories are individual standalone. However, they contain elements of an overall story that is slowly being progressed, very slowly, but it is being progressed nonetheless. So at the end of 13 episodes, not only have you finished the main story, but all these you know side stories as well. So it, it creates a very nice atmosphere for the show. I would definitely recommend watching it just for that. If, if you're into something that you can pick up and leave, pick up and leave, this is the show for you. Um, however, in episode 8 and 9, oh my gosh, I can't... There's just so much. I remember um, it literally brought me to tears. Good people make bad decisions. The idea that even a man who has committed atrocities can climb a spider thread. The idea that even a man who perhaps has done something amazing can jump into the, the pond and sink all the way down to hell. It, it, it becomes real. It becomes what is justice, what is fair. What is the point? Sooner or later we find out exactly what happened to Dekim's assistant. And uh, that, again, was emotional. I think it actually had a lot to do with, uh, with Japanese society. Just the amount of... It's hard to comment on it without spoiling it, so I'm just really going to leave it as is and, and let you watch it. And if you want to come and talk to me about it afterwards, please do so. Uh, I would I would love a sit-down conversation about Death Parade. Um, however, let's let's take a step back. Before Death Parade, there was a 30-minute short film. So it's directed by Yuzuru Tachikawa, who, um, from what I'm looking at, he's directed other things, mainly episodes. Uh, probably the most um, popular thing that people will, will probably be able to recognize uh, Kill a Kill episode seven. He was the episode director for that, so that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of a little bit of a, of a twist. He was the uh, assistant director for um, Sound Kill No Terror. Uh, never seen it. I, I don't quite know what that's about. However, he has worked on other things, right? But this is his main. This is really his breakout hit. This is his his first major thing he's done, and it is a masterpiece. It was part of the uh, Young Animator Training Project, Anime Mirai in 2013 so it came out actually like two years or, or i guess yeah about two years before death parade actually came out death billiards is is a little bit longer than your average death parade uh anime or your death parade episode but um what's really interesting about death billiards is they they spared no expense it's madhouse freaking madhouse and they spared no expense none whatsoever it was so beautiful. They use a fisheye lens in one scene. Um, it was so vivid. It was moving. And um, you can tell um, the Twitter user, Adanush, he does a very great visual comparison between, uh, I think it was like episode four, what happens in Death Billiards, and then what happens in, you know, it's later, I don't want to say recycled, but it's later revisited in Death Parade. Uh, Death Billiards is also home to maybe the best sword fight in the entire anime. Uh, maybe the only sword fight in the entire anime. Death Billiards is best watched, in my opinion. I watched the show first, and then I watched Death Billiards. I would watch Death Billiards after, and here's why. Because Death Parade, you're going in, at first you may not know it's an actual 
you know, commentary or, um, you know, discussion on morals and philosophy, a little bit on society, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's just, you know, a study, a case study on, on some things. But when you watch Death Billiards, if you already know, you know what you're going in for, you know what to look for, and it's all there. It's, it's a very encapsulated view. And uh, you really see that in the very end when one of the characters is being held up by the spider threads. And he gives this monologue, but it doesn't quite feel like a monologue. It fits, so don't, don't, when I say monologue, I don't want you to feel like it's forced in there, but it is obviously the moral undertone of the story, of, of the show, of Death Billiards. It's exactly what Tachikawa was trying to, to convey. Um, basically, you know, life isn't fair. And how can you how can you judge us? And um, the other thing I, I want to say is, if you're watching Death Parade first, all that character development that happens between Dekium and the and the woman in his assistant, um, you can see that in Death Billiards fully. I mean, Death Billiards to me feels like I had an idea, it went straight to the final form. So I don't want to say Death Billiards is better. But there are a couple scenes in animation, uh, maybe it had a higher budget, that was simply breathtaking. The way that everyone regains their memories, and particularly the old man. So in Death Billiards, there's a, a younger man who's in his 30s, and then there's an older man. The older man was one of the victims, uh, was there for the Tokyo firebombing. And for those of you who aren't aware, what ended up happening in World War II is these planes... Uh, you know, the U.S. attacked Tokyo and they would fly high above and they would drop, you know, carpet bomb, nothing but Tokyo and, and because Tokyo is made out of, or at the time was made out of nothing but giant wooden buildings, the napalm would spread and literally burnt Tokyo to the ground and a lot of survivors were there for that. This man happens to be one of them and they introduce his flashback in one of the most glorious ways. He's still an old man, you can't tell the scene has transitioned, but what happens is they start spinning and it spins, and as it is, you hear the sound of a plane, and then the plane comes into view out of the top, and comes down, comes down, comes down, it looks like literally it's gonna hit him in the forehead, and then it pulls up the last second, and his, you know, what, what he's got left of his hair, you know, he's balding, has kind of that, you know, ring around look, and it just starts flapping. The man's looking straight at it, you get the lens glare from the, from the, uh, the lights of the plane. It, it comes down, and then it comes right up at the last second, and then you see it transitions as you see multiple planes and they start to bomb uh, Tokyo. And that transition was so beautiful. So beautiful. So well done. Oh my gosh. The younger man is losing at pool because the old man is, is, a, is a proficient pool player. They both are, but he's just really good. And so they start fighting with the pool cues and it's, it's basically a sword fight. The old man manages to get the pool cue into the young dude's mouth and starts, boom, swinging him around, and like totally flips him, and you get this view from inside the uh, the mouth of, of the, uh, <laughs> the younger guy, and it's it's kind of funny, but when you're watching it, it's it it's so beautiful. You see the teeth, and then the and the pool cue, and you're seeing nothing but the uh, the background move around, and all of a sudden the old man comes into view, and then whoosh, you see the uh, younger man spin, and wham, eats it on the floor. You know, I was I was raving the other day about Nisekoi because I've been watching that and I'm really enjoying it. Show, don't tell. If you can show buddy, show somebody something instead of telling them what's happening, that's always going to be great in a visual medium. However, however, 
how you show them is equally important. They could have easily have just shown the old man whipping the guy's ass, and it would have been cool looking. However, by getting that extra view, an impossible camera angle. I mean, it's possible, but you can't put a camera inside someone's mouth like that and get that shot. It's just, you, you can't be done. But with animation, you can. And that's why it's a wonderful, wonderful medium, and that's why Death Billiards is such a wonderful, wonderful work of art. Oh, it's, and, and like I said, the moral message is all there. It's just, take it or leave it. But uh, at the very end, the uh, assistant, she asks, well, who went where? And Dekium says, I, I can't tell you. Now, the way he says it, it's not necessarily as ominous. It's not that he knows, but I got the faint impression he didn't know, but I also got the faint impression it didn't matter. The thing was, for us as a viewer, it was questioning morals. There was a line, I love, I love this tactic, muted lines. We hear the younger man in the background ranting and raving, but what we see is this old man talking to Dekium. We don't know what he says. And I guess if you're watching the animation, you can tell who goes where. However, the question is still up for debate. You know, what, what did he say? Was it just? Was it fair? Can somebody really climb the spider thread and be redeemed? And, and I, I guess, you know, I'm kind of going in circles and starting to talk about the same thing over and over again. The, the anime is not... It's not stagnant water. It's, it's very mature and very well thought out. You can still watch this and just see a brilliant, beautiful show about a character, or a couple characters, I guess, in this case, trying to find the difference between salvation and, well, damnation. So Death Parade, I definitely recommend it. It was quite possibly the strongest show out of this last season. I guarantee you it's going to be brought over licensed. It's already licensed by Funimation. They were the ones who were streaming it. And I guarantee you it's going to it's gonna make it to, to Blu-ray. It's just, this is too beautiful to not. I don't see a reason why this would not be seeing a release date sometime soon. So there you go. There's your new show for a new show. Um, but now, we're going to transition to something a little bit different. Everybody needs some music. Oricon Top 10. So for all of you who are interested in listening to new Japanese music, J-Rock, J-Pop fans, here I got for you the Top 10 of the Oricon Weekly Charts for the week of April the 15th. Alright, starting in at number 10. We have the ever-beautiful Kaori Mizumori with her hit single, Yamatoji no Koi. Yamatoji 
coming up number nine, it's been out for three weeks, fallen six positions, so it's on its way out. Inochi wa Utsukushi by Nogisaka46. is Hirofumi Araki with his song, Next Stage. Number seven, the song's name is Shukan Torai Future by Fudan Juki. <laughs> Number six is Candy Island with Happy Happy Days. That's Happy Times Two Days. The opening theme of Idol Master Cinderella Girl. Happy Happy Days. Reaching the brand new hit singles, we have Eiko Sunrise by Baby Rage Japan. Number four, we have Kiryu with QB. <laughs> kind of has a little bit of a graphic music video, but at the same time, it's ugh, very interesting. I recommend checking it out if you're into that sort of thing. Number three, 
we have Cute with Sugi no Kado Magare. Number two, it's Don't Look Back by NBM48. Not to be outdone, it's SKE48 with Croquettish Jutaichi. Quite honestly, I wish I'd gotten the show done one week prior because there was one single that just totally took- I mean, there are a couple singles that were just absolutely brilliant. One of them in particular I think people can appreciate. It's Take Me Out to the Ball Game by Yusuke. And there you have it. There are your J-Pop Oricon Top 10 for the week of April the 14th. Alright, so there we go. You have your first episode of Senpai Coast to Coast. Man, it feels good to be back. It's like trying on new socks with new shoes, you know? There's nothing that feels better than new socks and new shoes at the same time. Ooh, orgasms on my feet. Thank you for listening. Again, if you want to contact me, you can do so in a various number of ways, and be sure to share Senpai Coast to Coast with all your friends and family, anime fans or not. We're here to grow the family, right? Anyone who loves anything Japanese pop culture related, let's try and get that on there, okay? Let's go with the Gmail first. That would be senpaicoast2coast at gmail.com. That's senpaicoast, the numeral two, that's the number two, folks, coast at gmail.com. You can also get me at Twitter. Look for Josh underscore Dunham. That's D-U-N-H-A-M. Very easy, just like the comedian. In fact, that's uh, one of my gripes is whenever I look for myself, you know, Josh Dunham. Just, uh, yeah, damn it. And of course, you can always check out the blog at senpaicoasttocoast.wordpress.com. Sooner or later, we'll get a little bit of better hosting and, you know, make it into something. But until then, 
Thank you guys for listening. It's been absolutely wonderful to be back. You will hear from me again. I promise you that. <laughs>